Hey everybody, welcome to the Friday Week 17 edition of the NFL Road Show. It's a great week in some respects, right? We've got must-win games happening all over the place. Eight games, in fact, where there are at least one team that is playing to get into the postseason. And then there are three more games where teams are playing for a one seed at the same time. So that should be dramatic. And frankly, we should be able to focus on those games because there are three games where there is literally nothing interesting at stake. And one game where Bruce Arians insists that there is something interesting taking place, but we're not sure if we should believe him. Here's the thing about this week, though. There are a lot of teams that are straight up out and could choose to rest their stars. And quite a few of them are playing in games that very much matter to the other team. So it's very hard to predict what's going to happen, either for betting purposes or for fantasy purposes. And that is where my guest today comes in, Ian Harditz from PFF, who hosts the PFF Fantasy Podcast, of which I am a subscriber. Ian, can you help us? Thank you so much for having me on. Happy uh, Week 17, or as we like to refer to it, DFS Christmas. And I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, you mentioned the motivation, a lot of different injury news going on. Of course, we have the COVID opt-outs, always running rampant. Fun week to be a DFS uh, fiend like us. Yeah. So to be clear, I'm aware that most fantasy leagues wrapped up last week, right? But there are some godforsaken leagues that decide to deal with this uncertainty also and take the championship all the way into Week 17, hopefully with open waiver wires. And there are people like me and Ian that are going to be entering some lineups in daily. And Ian, I'm not going to lie, I'm struggling with with putting those lineups together right now. There's so many options all over the place. So to your point in the intro, I mean, we got to worry about, you know, the Chiefs, Steelers in particular, and also the Bills and Buccaneers. I mean, there's one storyline to take from 2020. It's never trust a single word that Bruce Arians lets out of his mouth. Great coach and everything. And why should he tell everyone his strategy? But truly, just never know what's going on there. But it's a fun one. And there's so many, uh, you know, cheap options all around the board. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking uh, lineup strategy with you. Because I think there's a bunch of different ways to go, particularly in tournaments. Yeah. For Before we get to that, though, what do you think is the best approach in general in terms of prioritizing the teams that are highly motivated to win, uh, that maybe deprioritizing teams that are eliminated, or you obviously can't sit everybody on a team. So there's going to be certain players like the Bills are a team, you know, they want to win and get the two seed, but they're playing at the same time as the Steelers and the Browns. If they see that the Steelers are losing, then that makes their win unnecessary. Maybe in the second half, they could rest players. Maybe you can still roll out a guy like Gabe Davis, who's inevitably going to be low enough on the totem pole that you're going to see him play throughout the entire game. But just strategically, how are you trying to make sense of all of that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Bills and Buccaneers, again, those are the two teams that maybe they rest and maybe they don't. So I'm still trying to wrap my uh, mind around those. To your point, Gabriel Davis, either way, is going to be a good play. But looking at the Chiefs and Steelers, I think looking at their opponent could make a lot of sense because we have these teams and the Chiefs and the Steelers not starting their starting quarterback. You know, you could expect everyone not to, not that they won't be playing hard, but clearly these are less beastly teams than we're used to seeing. So, hey, Chargers, you know, Justin Herbert with Keenan Allen out. We have Mike Williams, very affordable, Donald Parham as well. And then with the Browns, like, they're Finally, they've got uh, Jarvis Landry and all their receivers back from the COVID list. So a lot of options there. Uh, additionally, you know, this week, like a lot of weeks, we've got to ask ourselves a Derrick Henry question and also with the Vikings facing the Lions. Uh, just, I would say, just, you know, looking at those two games in particular, Titans versus the Texans and then Vikings versus the Lions, we know the Vikings and the Titans are going to be putting up points. If you don't have the salary for Henry or you want to fade the chalky RB, look at those pass catchers. A lot of talented guys on both of those squads. And then finally, and I'm sure we'll get into this more in a little bit, 
but there are like three or four running backs, potentially 4,500 or cheaper on DraftKings. Everyone's going to be wanting to jam these guys in there, but they all have, you know, fairly obvious paths to just busting. So I think there's so much value everywhere. I would say generally I'm going to be avoiding these cheap running backs as much as possible because I think they are going to be very highly owned. Again, I just want to spend uh, lower elsewhere at the wide receiver, even quarterback uh, with John Wall for some guys going on. So yeah, I would say, you know, take a long look at those teams going against the demotivated uh, offenses. Uh, make sure you look at the Vikings and Titans. Even if you can't get the chalky running backs, I'll look at the wide receivers and yeah. So uh, avoid those cheap running backs as well. Those would be my main three kind of strategic takeaways. Okay. We'll get to the specific players that you like this week. You said a lot there that piqued my interest. Um, first though, the latest news that will affect your roster building. It's time to break the huddle. All right, a few big names not playing this weekend. First up, Dalvin Cook. So sad. His dad passed away unexpectedly on Tuesday, so he went back to Miami to be with his family. He will not be at the game on Sunday, so it will likely be an Alexander Madison game for Minnesota. He has been practicing this week, so that's a good sign for him returning from concussion protocol. James Robinson out for Jacksonville. Cooper Cup out for LA. He tested positive for COVID. So that means that John Wolford, and now we know it's Wolford and not Wofford or Walford, uh, he will be without his team's leading receiver in his very first NFL start in a game that they probably have to win to keep their season going. That's not ideal. Also potentially out in that game, Michael Brockers, who also was placed on the COVID list on Wednesday. That could be a huge loss for the defense. I'm sorry, he was placed on the COVID list on Thursday. That could be huge either way for the defense. Other quarterback in that game, Kyler Murray, says he will play despite a leg injury suffered last week. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I think that we can now refer to as the Dolphins' closer, is not available to finish things out this week. He has covid We're also not going to see Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs have decided to rest him since they already have the one seed locked up, and that should probably swing the MVP pendulum fully in Aaron Rodgers' favor unless he comes out and lays an egg in this very important game for the Packers playing for the one seed against the Bears. Meanwhile, the quarterback story that I'm going to be watching most closely this week, the playing status of Alex Smith in Washington. He's missed two games with a calf injury, both losses for the football team, Haskins, awful in his place isn't even on the team anymore they cut him so their only other option in a win and you're in lose and you're out game in prime time with the entire nation watching is taylor heineke who has one nfl start under his belt and he might not have terry mclaurin to throw to because he has a high ankle sprain but everything's gonna be fine there right ian (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh one thing after another the one point i want to really bring up is i think john wolford could be the guy that we're looking at in dfs as a viable backup option i mean look one thing sean McVay knows how to do right, he knows how to do a lot of things but putting up points against the cardinals is just in his blood seven matchups against them since he joined the rams rams have scored 33 32 34 31 34 31 and most recently 38 points and hey wolford hey for us you know just football obsessed people like me we know about him already he was in the aaf he led all AFQBs in rushing. He had 14 games at Wake Forest with at least 50 rushing yards. Look, dual threat talents in fantasy football are pretty much cheap, co- cheap, 
cheat codes, excuse me. And it looks like Wolford is has that in his repertoire. So it's risky. A lot of people have not heard about this guy until this week. I get it, but could not ask for a better coach. And hey, it's looking like, like a winnable matchup as well. So yeah, a lot of news to go through. And we got some more, uh, you know, just under the radar guys as well. But John Wolford at 4,900, if you want to just have a cheap quarterback, get up to Devontae, get up to Derrick Henry. I think he's a reasonable option. He's really inexpensive. Looking at the guys that are around him at 4,900 on DraftKings, you're talking about uh, Rippon for Denver. Um, he's behind Huntley for Baltimore. What is going on? How is he priced so low? We all know he's going to start. It's insane. It's a sl- it's a slap in the face. We got backup quarterbacks priced higher than him. So, yeah. and then on the other, you know, same roster with uh, Cam Akers coming back from the high ankle sprain, Daryl Henderson already on IR. Malcolm Brown is shaping up as a potential three down back and also there to save salary at 4,300. So, this Rams offense is interesting because the game total, you know, Vegas is telling us it's not going to be too many points score. I believe it's sitting at 40 and a half right now. But again, plenty of future past success with this Rams offense facing the Cardinals. You got options to bring it back on the other side, DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins with Kyler Murray looking like he's going to play. Maybe even Kenyon Drake if Chase Edmonds stays mm-hmm. sidelined. So, you know, interesting game going on there. But, yeah, looking like Walford and Brown in a must-win game for the Rams. Life comes at you fast uh, for Sean McVay. Now that I'm looking at the DraftKings pricing at quarterback, also in that Wolford Wolford range, I have to check myself, make sure I'm saying his name <laughs> correctly because apparently Sean McVay didn't know how to say it correctly earlier in the week. But now that we've got that uh, all settled, Sam Darnold is priced cheaper than Geno Smith. What? How? Oh, my my gosh. Talk about, uh, well, I would say slap in the face, though. I guess where Geno's concerned, it's a punch. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Wolford does look like he's got some wheels on him, though. There's this one clip that's making its way around Twitter a lot um, today, which is Thursday as we're taping, um, from a scrimmage that the Rams ran that wasn't televised, and he's running all over the place. So I am kind of excited to see what he looks like, and he will obviously be highly motivated, as will the rest of the players on that team, in a game that they pretty much have to win. Their only other route to get into the postseason if they don't win this game against the Cardinals is for the Packers to lose to the Bears and the Packers are highly motivated to not let that happen a because it's the bears but b because they would really like to have the one seed and home field advantage for the rest of the playoffs because nobody wants to go to lambo in that weather that's a massive advantage for them what do you make of the washington football team from a fantasy standpoint when you're looking at a so alex smith changes things a little bit you know, so if Alex is in, then maybe you're considering some plays there that you wouldn't consider otherwise. I would say that if Alex Smith isn't there, then I'm pretty much staying away for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a situation on that, you know, Sunday night showdown slate, just looking at pretty much the Eagles side of the ball. I mean, Jalen Hurts, even though he didn't have the week 16 that I think a lot of fantasy football managers were hoping for, the guy still threw for 300 yards. I mean, in two straight games, we continue to see the rushing upside. He actually scored a rushing touchdown on the first drive of that game where his foot was out of bounds just by about a half an inch. So I get it. It's not a touchdown, but again, was much closer than I think many gave him credit for to having another uh, big time boom performance. So Hurts, Miles Sanders, he was limited today, but we've had uh, NFL Network's Ian Rapport already come out and say knee injury, not an issue at all. So yeah, and there's just so many, I mean, even Deshaun Jackson, I think Alshon Jeffrey, Dallas Goddard, there's so many injuries all over the place. Like this is going to be one of those games that we're probably going to be editing lineups up until Sunday night and kickoff comes around. But yeah, I would say even with Smith coming back, I mean, we saw him against the Rams and even in the first couple quarters of that Lions game, you know, he just didn't look all that comfortable. A ton of check downs, dump offs to JD McKissick almost as soon as he got the ball. I get it. The guy, you know, coming back from what he's coming back from, I 
wouldn't want to take any hits on that leg. I didn't have to either. So, you know, Eagles fourth ranked uh, defensive line in pressure rate uh, per PFF this season. So they're going to be able to get after him. I think he's going to get the ball out quick. And with Antonio Gibson still coming back from his foot injury, I think all the stars continue to line for JD McKissick. So it hasn't, you know, been someone that fantasy football managers have loved to get behind because he's taken away all these targets from Terry McLaurin, from Antonio Gibson. But you know what? We just got to accept it. Now with these guys hurt, it actually makes sense for them to do that. So I would say focus more on the Eagles, which want to bring it back. Definitely do so with McKissick. Yeah, JD's the guy you love to hate all season long because you really want to get Antonio Gibson to get all of those touches. But at this point in the season, I just want to know what I have. So exactly. I'm fine. Just go ahead and, well, I mean, they're not going to sit Antonio Gibson if he can <laughs> play because they need to win the game. But from a fantasy football standpoint, I'm okay with the fact that he's going to at least get some of those uh, short yardage throws and stuff like that. Um, another interesting bit of news that I think, I don't know if this impacts anything from a fantasy standpoint, but a fantasy storyline all year long has been that the Packers defense, if they have a weakness, it's giving up yards on the ground to running backs. Well, this is a very interesting story, I think, in that they signed uh, Damon Snacks Harrison. Uh, they claimed him off the waiver wire by the um, uh, Seattle um, cut him. So that could potentially help their run defense. And it could also cause some hard feelings in Seattle since they released him because they were under the impression that he wanted to stop playing altogether. Pete Carroll said that he thought that Snacks was retiring and their paths could pop. Uh, across in the postseason so I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out just from a drama standpoint because he could potentially play in this game this week they haven't ruled that out and the Bears have a pretty good run game so he might be able to help in that department Oh, it's a, it's a great point. If you go to uh, PFF.com, Eric Eager, who's one of our, you know, sharpest guys there, came out with an article today, today, actually, where, you know, big thing, everyone likes to hate on PFF about is the idea that running backs don't matter. This article is about if nose tackles matter, and his answer was a resounding yes. So I do think adding just one player like Snacks Harrison, okay, it's probably not going to transform their run defense from awful to even above average, but they don't need to go that far. They just need to be able to not give up, you know, the 250, 300 plus yard games that we've actually seen happen against them. With that said, I'm not sure in his first week there if it's going to be enough to slow down the artist known as Dave Montgomery. I mean, how many weeks in just tweets that this dude been made fun of from that ESPN produced graphic comparing him to, you know, Zeke, Saquon, Sony Michelle, all these great guys. Dave Montgomery has done nothing except ball the hell out over the last half month in the season. I had an article go up earlier this week, PFF Fantasy Football Awards, and Dave Montgomery won my comeback player of the year. And, you know, of course, oh my gosh, sometimes they don't do me any favors when these tweets go out. So all it said was Dave Montgomery comeback player of the year. No, we can get that to Alex Smith in real life. I mean, purely in fantasy. I know. (laughs) Purely in fantasy because in weeks one through eight, 13.2 PPR points per game. Weeks nine through 16, 21.9. So yes, Tariq Cohen being out of the picture has helped. Bad run defenses has helped. But, you know, at some point we got to put a little respect on Dave Montgomery's name. He joins Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook as the league's only RBs to average at least 20 PPR points per contest during the second half of the season. And only Nick Chubb and Mike Davis have averaged more four missed tackles per touch so it's not a situation where he's just got nothing but volume and that's why he's putting up points he's been making a lot of guys miss along the way and doing good things with the ball so he's also had some very favorable matchups down the stretch from a running back standpoint which again you know take what you can get obviously you still have to be able to run the ball and make the moves and all that kind of stuff but down the stretch shout out to all of the uh, fantasy football managers who saw this coming and stashed him on their bench while things were not going particularly well he had green bay detroit 
Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville, and now Green Bay again. I mean, come on. He's had 20 plus points in all of those games and 27 at least in all but one of them. Yeah, and I mean, it's like the same. Like Derrick Henry was the one that we were looking at his end of the season, looking how solid it was. Montgomery's really rivals him, and it's right there. And I almost think we're still just late coming around to it. And now you look at the pricing in Montgomery, 7,700, third most expensive running back behind only Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara. It's wild that we've got here, but I really feel like he's probably going to go under the radar because everyone wants to get up to Derrick Henry and his chase for 2,000. And then at that point, you know, you can go down to Austin Eckler and Jonathan Taylor facing the Jaguars, probably going to get more ownership. So, hey, you know, for cash lineups, if you're just playing head-to-heads and you're trying to just get the highest floor possible, absolutely give me Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor over Montgomery. But how many times do we need to see this dude ball out before we realize he has a nice ceiling? I think he's a great potential tournament option with projected low ownership. All right, so we're obviously cracking the ceiling. We're getting to some of our favorite plays here. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we will try to do this in an orderly fashion. All right, back now with our favorite plays for week 17. It's Fantasy Friday. Okay, let's start with quarterbacks. Okay, so uh, Lamar Jackson strikes me. I have made a list, Ian, of all the teams that have something to play for, right? So that's, for the most part, kind of where I want to start. That's my strategy for this week is I want to try and pull enough players from those teams as I possibly can and then go ahead and fill in some blanks with some other players. Or if I have to move things around in my DFS roster, then I I will based on players that I think might get a lot of opportunity on teams that have nothing to play for. But that feels more risky to me. So I want to start with that. So one of those teams is uh, the Baltimore Ravens. And Lamar Jackson was a solid rushing floor and all that kind of stuff. So he's somebody that I definitely want to consider this week who is among your favorites at quarterback. Yeah, I think uh, Lamar is a great call because it's so it's actually really affordable to stack him with Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews because they only cost 5900 and 5800 respectively. Like if you want to go down like to Aaron Rodgers or even Russell Wilson or one of these guys, you might think you're saving money because they are cheaper at quarterback, but once you add in their more expensive pass catchers, it gets a lot harder. So yeah, I think you know in cash and tournament games alike, Lamar with Hollywood and Mark Andrews in a game that they need to win to your point against the Bengals uh, definitely expect plenty of points to be going up there let me yeah go ahead let me interrupt you really quick because we talk about stacking a lot in daily and probably season long also but it's less of a thing um explain to people who have not played daily before the why stacking is such an important component yeah i mean look we're just trying to maximize our potential points and if we have lamar jackson at qb like okay we're assuming that he is going to have a great game we want him to put up points so because of that we need to stack him with his teammates to try to just give our lineup as a whole the highest ceiling because if you have a quarterback and he throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns obviously you want the receivers that are going to be getting those touchdowns so you know we can't stack an entire team or anything like that and you can do many stacks throughout it but uh, getting teammates that are correlated with uh, their production, both going off in the same game, is what you want to try to do. You can also go running back and defense because, you know, usually, as we all know, it's not that you give your t- running back 20 carries and you win. It's usually you get the lead, which results in your running back having 20 carries. That can tend to correlate with the defense also playing well. You don't need to have a pass catcher. I mean, if you want to, we, we call it going naked, uh, you know, where you would only have Lamar Jackson, not Hollywood or Andrews. Or Jalen Hurts for the last couple of weeks, Yeah, right? so if you have a rushing 
same quarterback like that, then you don't necessarily have to stack him because they're getting their production from a, you know, a different avenue than your normal quarterback. But generally, you know, you have someone like Aaron Rodgers, like you want to pair him with Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon because you want to be getting all those touchdowns, getting those double dips as often as you can. Yeah, and as soon as you plug him in, if you're me, then all of those touchdowns will go to like Alan Lazard and Jay Sternberger back from, you know, concussion protocol or something like that, because that's the kind of luck that I have had. How many players is too many players to stack from a particular game? Because I went really heavy on Chiefs-Falcons last week, which, I mean, that could not have been a worse call the way that the game played out from a scoring total standpoint. But even if it had been, you know, it's 54-point expected outcome or something like that, how many people do you think is too many? I think four or five is usually the right amount from an entire game because, yeah, because the game stack is uh, somebody even mentioned. And, yeah, it's, it's a great point because, you know, this week I think there's kind of two matchups, Titans and Texans and the Raiders and Broncos, which stick out to me as, you know, bad defenses on both sides with offenses that we know can put up points. So, again, going with this scenario, we're just hoping that everything goes our way in these lineups. We want to maximize our points. If you have, you know, a potential shootout like the Texans and Titans, you should be running it back with players in the other team. So if we wanted to go, you know, one of my stacks I like this week, week is if we're somewhat fading Derrick Henry, which is terribly scary. But if we happen to be right, we're going to have a nice advantage over a bunch of the, uh, you know, public and tournaments in particular. So we can go Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis. But we know the Texans going to be putting up points too. Bring it back with a Brandon Cooks, with a Kiki Cootie, even a Chad Hansen all the way down the line. So I'd say four or five guys from the same game is usually the right amount. You don't necessarily have to bring it back. Like, I don't know if I want a bangle to throw in there against the Ravens or anything, but particularly... T. Higgins, maybe a little T. Higgins. You know, things have been working for him. Brandon Allen played well last week. I'm just... uh, you know, he, he was facing the Texans now, and I think it's going to be a little bit tougher matchup. But yeah, I would say, you know, primarily Raiders, Broncos, and Titans, Texans are those two games that I'm especially excited about getting four or five guys from the same game in a lineup. The Texans, I'm a little bit concerned about Deshaun Watson because even though they keep saying that they're going to try and get him on the field, uh, I don't want to see him on the field. They have nothing to play for. He is just about the last man standing there on the offensive side of the ball. I don't, he's already hurt, got hurt at the end of the game last week. If I was the Texans, if I was in that front office, if I was part of the ownership group, I would be calling down and saying, no, no, we're going to protect him. <laughs> like, there's just no reason to play him. Yeah, I don't get it either. And yeah, that was a scary near injury he had last week with the elbow. Happy he's okay because, you know, don't let the Texans 4-11 record distract you. Deshaun Watson has still been anyone's idea of a top five real life and fantasy quarterback all year. But that's fair. And I, I think that goes back to, a, you know, kind of what you said to kick all this off. Like, we want to focus on the teams that have some level of motivation. Now, I don't think they're going to be sitting all their starters throughout this game or anything uh, like that. So, you know, David Johnson, he played 98% snaps last week. He's a viable guy, Brandon Cooks. I would definitely, you know, if you want a game stack this yeah I'm probably leaning towards Ryan Tannehill who definitely has something to play for as opposed to Watson and then probably bringing it back with one of the skill position guys on the Texans yeah if I was entering a ton of uh, daily lineups then I would definitely want to have one with the Texans on it but I want to hedge that bet by having a ton of them but I really like Watson and Cooks and David Johnson with the way that the offense is currently constructed it's just a funnel to those two guys so uh, but again I also don't want Watson to play I also don't want Stafford to play in Detroit. And I don't understand why they're even talking about him playing there. And I get he's tough, but I mean, we're talking about a thumb injury and a ribs injury. And then last week, an ankle injury that led him to hop off the field because he didn't want to get on a cart. I mean, go away for the rest of the year. Just get healthy. Bye. So, and also we now know that Galladay is not going to play this week. So um, we know we don't have Mahomes. We don't have Roethlisberger. Do you consider... 
Chad Henney or Mason Rudolph in DFS <laughs> because they will be cheaply priced? Nah, I think if you want to go cheap, you got John Wolford right there who's going to give you that rushing floor that you just don't have with those other guys. You know, I had a uh, DFS breakdown article go up uh, today on PFF.com and I had a section that was like galaxy brain dart throws. Like, what's the wildest thing we can kind of talk ourselves into? And the one play I kind of like from the Steelers is Deontay Johnson at 6700 He's like, $700 too expensive because they priced him thinking Big Ben was going to be under center. But hey, you know, him and Mason Rudolph, he was the Steelers' number one wide receiver last year with Rudolph under center. Had four games with at least five receptions and a score. And I mean, this guy, he's had 11 games where he hasn't been uh, just injury shortened at all. He's had at least 10 targets in all but one of those games. So it's risky. You know, it's not, you're not someone you could be building a ton of lineups around. But again, if you're entering a lot of these, I will be having Deontay Johnson in a couple because he should continue to be the most targeted receiver in an offense that's now facing a Browns defense that will be without number one cornerback Denzel Ward. So it's risky. You know, I, I don't want to be sitting there in the third quarter and see Deontay with his helmet off chilling on the sideline. But I just think for a player that's so explosive with the ball in his hands, you know, might only need half those targets for him to meet value. Yeah, and they can't sit everybody. They got to play some of these guys. Um, one of the teams that I really like as a stacking option this week, but also scares me a little bit, is Indianapolis. And the reason that it scares me a little bit is because they play in the afternoon window. And the other three teams that are ahead of them in the standings all play in the early window. So they need, they are the one team in the AFC that not only needs a win, but they also are relying on one of the three teams ahead of them to lose. That's the Dolphins, the Browns, and the Ravens. So if there is a scenario where the Dolphins and the Browns and the Ravens all win in the early window, then the Colts will take the field at 425 with virtually nothing to play for. And then that changes everything. And now you've constructed a whole lineup that you can't change at that point because they're in the afternoon window. That said, uh, the Colts have said that they're not going to post the scores of any of the early games inside the stadium so as not to distract their players. But Philip Rivers says his normal routine is to flip through the early games on his phone on Sunday ticket. And he says that he will probably do that this week. And the fact that he says flip and phone in the same sentence and it's Philip Rivers paints a picture for me of Philip Rivers sitting on sitting there like watching on a flip phone. And I can't be the only one that correlates those two words with his particular personality. But anyway, the Colts with uh, Jonathan Taylor and uh, maybe T.Y. Hilton against a Jaguars defense that is just awful, but also the only team to, um, well, the Colts are the only team that they've actually beat this year. So uh, what do you think about the Colts? Yeah. First of all, flip phone thing. I've actually had my phone charger named Philip Rivers for years. You know, San Diego Chargers, Philip Rivers, hilarious, right? Um, but so I'm all in on that. But no, I think it's a, I think it's a great point. This is one of the things I mentioned before, which is the strategy where you look at some of these games where just points are going to be scored. We just don't necessarily know who, uh, who by the Colts versus the Jaguars, the Vikings versus the Lions, and the Titans versus the Texans. Like we're talking about maybe the single three worst defenses in the league, and you see the chalky guys: Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and you know Madison or Mike. Boone, whoever's going to end up being running back for the Vikings. And yeah, so if it's looking like a situation where you wonder like how much are the Colts really going to be needing to lead on guys, maybe you don't go all in, all in with Jonathan Taylor. Maybe you go to someone like Naeem Hines, who is still going to be playing as usual solid amount, but could even see more work with the starters not getting it quite as done. Phillip Rivers, he's someone that I've never really been too in on this year, and he's actually had some boom games, so that's on me uh, to some extent. But you just look at him throughout his career. I think it was uh, Matthew Berry that pulled this stat off in the offseason. He has never had a game with 30 fans 
fantasy points in his entire career. Just he doesn't in his run. whole career. It's crazy, and even this year, like they bring in Jacoby Brissett to run QB sneaks. Oh so God. his his rushing floor is literally like below ground, and there's just yeah, there's just no really history of upside. So you know, I'm fine you know, looking around that Colts running game, but you know, maybe Ty Houghton here, uh, Zach Pascal there. But in general, I think uh, you know, don't go too crazy on that one. I'd look a little more at the uh, kind of backup options because yeah, uh, Philip Rivers is there looking at his phone at a three fifty five, and he sees some stuff he doesn't want to see it would make yeah. sense if they take their uh, foot off the gas a little bit although there's a chance that this is philip rivers last game so that kind of could change things i think too i don't know that he wants to just finish out on the sideline if that's a possibility he throws the ball so. like 50 60 times just airs it out to his heart's right? desire crap that's a good point sort of just um unload i don't know <laughs> that might be kind of a fun little twist to everything also Okay, so are there any other quarterbacks that you feel like we need to mention, or should we move on to running backs? Um, I would just say in cash lineups, I think uh, we talked about earlier about you know looking at the teams facing the motivated teams. I think the Chargers have uh, you know so a viable stack there with Justin Herbert, seventy one hundred, which is a little bit expensive for him. But Mike Williams is going to be a number one with Keenan Allen now, so he's only five k. And then Hunter Henry's he scares out. Scares me though. He scares me, Mike Williams. Mike Williams, could you catch yourself on a fall like once in your life? I feel like he falls like a bag of bricks every time he makes some spectacular contested catch over top two guys. Just cannot break his fall. I know it's scary, but hey, if he's going to be the number one, eight to ten targets, I'll buy that at 5k and then with hunter henry out you got donald parham as maybe the cheapest viable tight end option at just 2900 on DraftKings. so herbert and those two i like and last other point i would make is uh you know my guy drew Locke. i called him afc west Jameis, and that was giving him a little too much credit so we'll go with like lower middle class man's afc west Jameis. but drew Locke, a couple weeks ago four touchdown passes like he has these boom games in his range of outcomes also has busts in his range of outcomes you know but in tournaments we're like we're trying to be like ricky bobby first or last drew lock can get us in that first spot again a cheap stacking partner option with jerry judy noah fan so don't sleep on those guys but yeah i think we uh covered pretty much the rest of them yeah against the raiders defense which has been pretty awful drew lock also not from a football standpoint but just a mannerism standpoint has a lot of jay cutler in him love it like there's so much um expressiveness he, uh, sometimes he negative expressive. i love it i yeah. love it it's 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 fun to watch. Um, so running backs, then the top guys are very highly priced. You've got Kamara and Henry, both over nine thousand dollars on DraftKings, with the next closest running back on the main slate starting at seventy seven hundred. So you could save a lot of money by going off of those guys, but they also have great matchups, and they're both playing with a lot to play for so Kamara has the Panthers and Henry has the Texans and they both hemorrhage yards on the ground to running backs uh do you pay up for Henry, yes, 223 yards away from 2K. And you look at this matchup. The last two times he played the Texans, 212 yards and two touchdowns, then 211 yards and three touchdowns just on the ground. I mean, literally the only way I can kind of think of Henry not smashing in this spot is if, you know, the entire Texans defense just plays more inspired than they have all year after J.J. Watt pretty much tore down the entire city in that postgame presser. So I guess it was a team. He was giving the city a ton of props, but you know what I'm saying. So I just don't think anything from what we've seen from this Texans defense – 
really over the past two seasons should uh, give them a chance to stop Derrick Henry. So I'm fine paying up for him. Kamara, I'm a little more worried because I, I don't know. I think the Saints could maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit there in the second half. They don't have quite as much to play for as the Titans. And then after that, you know, you can really pay down. Now, I was mentioning this before about kind of the traps maybe that are being set with these cheaper running backs. And specifically, it's Malcolm Brown at 4,300 with Daryl Henderson out and Cam Akers potentially banged up with the uh, high, ankle sp- high ankle sprain. Dari Ogumbawale, who's a Jaguar starter with James Robinson sideline. And then Ty Johnson, who's going to be starting for the Jets with uh, Frank Gore and um, LaMichael Pirine out. So I see the I pass for success. They could work. I'm just nervous. I, well, yeah, it's it's the Jets, yeah. <laughs> so you you can't be that confident about anything. But I kind of low key love Ty Johnson this week because of the things you mentioned: no Gore, no low Michael P. Ryan. He's got the backfield to himself. He's highly motivated to have a good game and try and earn a position next year because he's obviously been coming off of the bench. And the only other time when he was a feature back this year in Week 13, he went over 100 with a touchdown, and he's 4,300 dollars on DraftKings. So I kind of love him. And to your point, like he went over 100 in that game. With- with positive game script. That was the wild game where they had the, uh, you know, all-out blitz and the Raiders ended up scoring the long touchdown at the end. Ty Johnson is also their pass down back. So this is one of these rare situations where I think we can feel pretty confident. Even if Cam Newton and somehow get up, if they get up by a lot, somehow, like, Ty Johnson is still going to be the primary back. How would that even happen? I I know that that's nice of you to throw that out as a scenario. We all know at this point that is not happening. That's what I told myself last week with all those uh, brown stacks and then then look how uh, that one turned out. Yeah, I guess that's true. I wasn't even thinking of it from a jet standpoint i was thinking of it literally just as a as a statement about the patriots offense they just don't have the capability to do that this year so you mentioned earlier uh kenyan drake because you've got murray who's banged up you've got chase edmonds that's out should mean more volume for drake in a must win do you um value him more than you would in a in a different week no i think it's a Fantastic spot for uh, Kenny Drake. And we look at the nice little second half stretch he had, and it really coincided with Kyler being banged up, as he is now. When Kyler had those three straight games with just five rush attempts, we saw Drake, one, getting targets because, you know, Kyler was not running off and scrambling. He was dunking it down. And he was also getting more goal line opportunities because Kyler wasn't taking those. So that's always kind of the tough thing about these mobile quarterbacks because to one extent, you know, they're running these read options. They're giving, you know, wider holes. Miles Sanders talked about that with Jalen Hurts coming under center. So they might be improving the efficiency but when they take away those fantasy-friendly targets and goal line opportunities, that almost hurts more than it helps, I think. But alleviating those two problems and taking Chase Edmonds out of the picture, I mean, Drake, the reason why he was such like kind of a highly touted back going into this year was because those last four or five weeks of 2019, he was playing like 80 90% snaps. It's been a 50-50 split between him and Edmonds ever since Drake came back from the ankle injury. We're pretty much giving him, again, those fantasy-friendly touches back he's been missing, and we're taking away his biggest competition to the role. So obviously nothing comes easy against Aaron Donald and those guys, but in terms of just a volume and kind of touch perspective, everything is aligning for Ken and Drake. So we've mentioned Montgomery, we've mentioned Eckler, um, Dobbins. What about Gaskin? Gaskin, he's just priced a little high, as he should be. I mean, he's their three down back coming, uh, you know, coming back in. And hey, with Fitzpatrick out, I can see them, uh, you know, leaning on that run game more than ever with Tua. I just kind of question the overall upside of this Dolphins offense. Tua really hasn't played all that bad. I wish they'd just kind of give him a chance to work it out if they are going to put him under center in the first place. But yeah, I don't know. Gaskin's fine. I just find myself kind of uh, getting around some uh, of the different running backs. 
Yeah, that Miami offense is just, it's crazy that they're in the position that they are as a team. And I love their defense, right? But you look at their offense, and for anybody who plays fantasy, you know, there's just, there's almost nobody there. You could go Devontae Parker potentially, but he's been banged up. So that's a question mark. Gasicki's great if Fitzpatrick is the quarterback, just loves him in the slot. Um, okay, so what other, are there any other running backs that you think? What about a, like a low-end running back? Is there is there one? I got a couple in the mid-range real quick because it, right, if Alexander Madison gets clear from the concussion protocol, he's going to be awfully chalky at 6,100. And hey, for good reason. I mean, Lions, that's a great matchup. But don't sleep on Melvin Gordon at 5,700. Equally good matchup against the Raiders. And with Philip Lindsay out of the picture, it really does become the Melvin Gordon show in Denver. So it didn't exactly come to fruition last week, but just a low-scoring game. I don't think we're going to see that same issue here. And then also Jeff Wilson has 6,000. I mean, look, Raheem mm. Mostert's not going anywhere. Like, he's still out. Like, it's still a Jeff Wilson show in San Francisco as well. And it worked last week. When Kyle Shanahan is identifying you as one of his better playmakers, I mean, Lindsey, hey, if he gave you five touches per game, I mean, I think it'd be, uh, you know, something to at least consider, especially at that price point. And yeah, uh, to your point about the cheaper running backs, there are options. Malcolm Brown, Ty Johnson, uh, Dario Mubawale, and Mike Boone. If Madison ends up being ruled out, I would just say, you know, pivoting away from them in tournaments, I think it makes sense because I, I think guys we're going to get to are wide receivers and tight ends. We have a lot of opportunities to pay down there. All right. And the paths to busting, as you mentioned earlier, there are more of them for those guys. Okay, tight ends. No, let's do wide receivers. I skipped over wide receivers in my notes because I just don't even (laughs) have any wide receivers. I feel like wide receivers, these other positions where there are fewer options are so much harder. Um, So, but what stands out to you from a wide receiver standpoint this week? Yeah, I mean, we talked about, you know, kind of a lot of them already just with the quarterback stacks. Now you're probably going to be having two of them anyway. But one guy standing out as chalk that really should be is Curtis Samuel at 5,300. Seven rush attempts last week. I've been dubbing him Millennial Percy Harvin lately, you know, with his ability as an RB wide receiver from an Urban Meyer offense. And he's making things happen. He's been good as a receiver. But truly, we talked about this with Walford, like dual threat players in fantasy football, whether you're a rushing QB or a pass catching RB, or in this rare circumstance, a wide receiver that gets rush attempts, very, very, very valuable. So again, you know, Panthers, Robbie Anderson, he came back to practice today. We'll see though, but really taking away McCaffrey and Boone from, excuse me, Mike Davis from the equation really sets up Curtis Samuel as potentially, you know, the wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and maybe just the RB1. What? Maybe. Against the Saints though? It's not ideal, but I just, yeah, you know, Curtis Samuel. If we're looking at 15 touches for a guy priced at 5,300, it's very hard to get away from. True. There's a ton of guys in this lower 5K range. What do, you, what do you need? So 5,300, what, what kind of point output do you need to pay for yourself? When you're priced at 5300 So his salary implied total is uh, 10.9 points. So pretty much we just need him to get past that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's projected for 15. Most people are going to have him projected 15, 16. So his plus minus is really popping. But again, there's a lot of guys in that low range. We got, uh, you know, Sterling Shepard facing the Cowboys. If Golden Tate's out, Shep's going to be eating more out of the slot. Marvin Jones, if Matthew Stafford comes back. I'm with you. Chill out, Stafford. You don't have anything else to prove. But if he does come back, I think Jones can win against that Vikings secondary. He had, what, four touchdowns against them. Uh, last season, that one game, and even uh, you know looking up a little bit or down, even the Mike Williams, who I know scares you, but you know he's got yeah. those big uh, games in his potential range of outcomes. So again, I mean these are four or five guys just in that lower five K range that I think you can talk yourself into. And yeah, you know you really don't have to pay up a wide receiver this week. That's why I'd rather you know go get my Derrick Henrys, Jonathan Taylors because we have all these cheaper options at receiver. So let me ask some specific questions about some of these cheaper wide receivers here. Uh, Jamison Crowder his usage last week was insane, right? And it was a good matchup and it was, you could kind of see it coming to a degree, but 
uh, I mean, they had him throwing the ball. They had him running the ball. Much to your point about Curtis Samuel, just the, the amount of volume that he got last week. Is he somebody that you think of going back to against the Patriots? I think it's been, I guess it is trending back upwards. I was really hoping they were going to start leaning on Prashad Perryman and Denzel Mims on the outside. Sam, they were doing that with Joe Flacco under center because Flacco, like, inexplicably had the league's biggest uh, deep ball rate. Like, he was chucking the thing uh, downfield. Sam Donald has come back and kind of got back to feeding uh, Jameson Crowder. So, eight targets, nine targets over the past two weeks. And, yeah, you mentioned the uh, passing touchdown he had as well. I'm almost inclined, if I really want to get uh, in some exposure to that Jets passing attack, going all the way down. To Denzel, like, like that's a purposeful thing. Like, hold on, I need to get some Jets in my lineup. <laughs> oh my gosh, should probably stop myself right there. But you know, I'd rather go down to Mems or Perryman, really just throw a dart if we want to get to that point. What about the Cowboys? Because they finally looked like the Cowboys were expected to look like last week out of nowhere. But they're also now playing a very important game against the Giants in a game where the winner of that game will be in a position to potentially be the four seed in the NFC if Washington goes on to lose in primetime. So do we expect that we might see more Gallup and Cooper and potentially C.D. Lamb this week against the Giants? They're at least viable. I mean, I was not on the Cowboys last week because when we had seen them play well against in the 49ers, Bengals, and Vikings, those were three bottom eight defense and pressure rate. Eagles were actually legit at that. And maybe, you know, Brandon or, or Fletcher Cox, excuse me, uh, getting hurt early impacted that. But whatever, Andy Dalton, he's been putting some good quarters uh, out there. And hey, I think Amari Cooper at 5,800 would be the guy I want. Michael Gallup had the huge game last week. But look, Amari Cooper, he's still the number one in Dallas, I think, overall. And because Gallup had such a big game, we really didn't see Cooper's price budge all that. Much so, feeling much better about this passing game as a whole. I do like Cooper. I will say though, and I know we're talking wide receivers now, but Ezekiel Elliott has never in his entire career been cheaper on DraftKings than he is this week. He's caught a lot of flask, a lot of flack this year. He set the record for the season in most forced missed tackles on runs last week against the Eagles. Tony Pollard is incredible. Zeke's still very good. What? That's going to be one of the most frustrating performances ever that Zeke has pulled out of his, you know what, because for people who drafted him, what, third overall in their fantasy leagues, and now it's championship week, and there is no doubt he's on all of the benches. I would really be interested in looking at what percent of uh, leagues had him started, because he had been so awful. And then, of course, yes, that's when you come back and you do it. Like DJ Chark, same thing. So DJ Chark, except he's not the number three overall pick, but DJ Chark is a guy who I had sitting, I had plugged him into my flex so many times this year because I was like, it's it's all there. It's got to hit, right? Like it's got to revert to, there has to be a positive regression for uh, Chark because he's getting so many targets and he just won't catch any of them. And then it finally happened the one week that I was like, I cannot roll the dice on you anymore. So I hate everybody, but let's talk about tight ends um, because the top two guys are... Um, on teams that have nothing to play for, depending on how you want to value that, obviously, Kelsey, and they're going to sit a lot of um, players there. I don't know if that will be Kelsey, but it's going to be Mahomes. I can't imagine that they won't sit Tyreek Hill also. They haven't said that, but he has been missing practice this week. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. That's the last thing that I want to take any kind of chance with going into the postseason. But So who knows whether Kelsey will be involved in that, but the offense as a whole will not look like itself. Then you've got Darren Waller on the Raiders, and they're already eliminated. And then you go down to uh, some other guys, well, and Kittle, Kittle for San Francisco, also on a team that's eliminated. But then you've got uh, Andrews, 
in a must win against the Bengals. You've got Robert Tunyon in a game that they want to win against the Bears who give up tons of points to tight ends. I kind of like maybe thinking about Andrews and Tunyon just because of the matchups and also the motivation, all of it combined. Oh yeah, and if you you know if you have Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers as your QB, you need to be stacking them with these tight ends. Their chance to find the end zone is just too high. And Darren Waller, I know he's topping off the price list at seventy one hundred, but like he would be the eleventh ranked wide receiver, and he's anyone's idea of a number one pass game option. Similar to Travis Kelsey, similar to George Kittle. I almost feel like it's doing these guys a disservice. Look, Sammy Watkins' original deal with the Chiefs is more per year than Kelsey's deal that he just resigned. Like that doesn't make any sense just because you want to call one a wide. Like, like, it makes sense to me. But Watkins' deal never made sense, period. Fair, just fair. even if he's, you know, as a wide receiver. Like, that, it just <laughs> never made sense. I don't know why that happened. That's a good point. But I, I see why, like, Jimmy Graham in 2013 was throwing, you know, such a fuss about, you know, the tight end versus wide receiver franchise tag. Just seems like kind of a it's, a, it's a pretty arbitrary way to decide a lot of money, as we're seeing. But, you know, that's a story for another day. You're right. Yeah. Considering Kelsey leads the entire league in receiving, right? That's the thing. Like, it's not even about tight ends. It's as pure receivers. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be very hard to make any list of 10 receivers and leave Kelsey off, whatever you want to call him. Moving down, though, Irv Smith at 3,900. Kyle Rudolph is again out. And you look at these, you know, Houston, Seattle, Minnesota, Philly, like these offenses with two very good tight ends. If you remove one from the equation, we can really get behind the other one. So Irv Smith at 3,900. If you really want to go cheap, I think Donald Parham, former XFLer, got to love uh, those guys out there as Justin Herbert's number one tight end played over 80% of the offensive snaps last week. I mean, you know, he's a tight end, but as all of us fantasy analysts love, former basketball player, you can go up there and get it and only cost 2,900. So I think it's kind of like a rags or riches at tight end this week. I don't see a ton of guys other than Irv in that mid range I like. So if you're able to, you know, pay up, great, but don't be afraid to just kind of, you know, almost punt it with a par on a 2,900. What about Ingram? At 3,700, just the, I hate the Giants offense right now with Daniel Jones playing under the circumstances that he's playing because he's just a sitting duck. You're not getting any of that mobility, which is really what he brings to the table. So if he's going to be a pocket passer, I don't think that I particularly love um, what they're likely to bring to the table from an offensive standpoint, but he's been getting a lot of air yards and he's $3,700. Yeah, he's so cheap. I mean, I'm seeing him. I think this might be the cheapest he's been the entire season. Maybe not a more disappointing fantasy player than Evan Ingram, just in the context of, I think if you would have asked anyone. Oh, but a pro bowler. But a pro bowler. Oh, my gosh. To me, the pro bowlers stopped meeting anything when Trevor Simeon declined an invitation once upon a time. (laughs) Uh, This year, no one has to. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just take the title. No one's going. Unbelievable. I think Ingram makes some sense. He kind of has been a cowboy killer over the course of his career. Keep an eye on that calf injury, but he's been limited all week, so yeah. I think he should be good out there. So, yeah, Ingram, Irv Smith, you know, kind of see where those uh, projected ownerships shake out. I think uh, going with the uh, lower-owned guy could make a lot of sense. And, yeah, to your point, when Daniel Jones can't run, it's pretty much like when Kyler's banged up. Much, uh, you know, poor man's version of Kyler for sure. But Daniel Jones, we all remember that freaking 80-yard run he busted off next-gen stats. is telling us he's the fastest man alive and all all this stuff going on. You take that away from him, he is going to have to dink and dunk it a little more. And for whatever reason, Jason Garrett has always used Evan Ingram as this low ADOT kind of check down guy. So it would make sense if he ends up being kind of the biggest beneficiary of a limited Daniel Jones. Jason Garrett, who's now off the COVID list for whatever uh, that means for anything there in New York. I can't believe that I'm actually liking the Cowboys to win a game. I feel like I've we've gone so far away from that where I just stopped paying attention to the Cowboys this year, and now they're in this must-win game. I, if the Cowboys make the playoffs, I don't know. I might have to just hang them up and forget about it. And then it's going to be— since- 
Yeah. Th- those teams with losing records historically that have gotten into the postseason, I think there have been two um, since 1990, and they each won a wild card game. I remember so, the beast quake oh, against the uh, yes. Saints, and yeah, that's the problem because he's get, Cowboys get in the playoffs, and then we're going to look at some like nine or ten point spread, and we're going to be like, you know what? I think we have to bet on Andy Dalton and company. Throwing up my mouth just thinking about super it. Super gross. Super gross. Uh, defense. Just your general thoughts. How do you how do you strategically pick a defense uh, in daily? As I go cheap. from the bottom yeah. <laughs> and find I just go up from the bottom and I find the cheapest one that I land on that I don't feel gross about. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much nailed it. If you again, you can stack RBs with their defense. So you know Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, uh, you know Aaron Jones and the Packers. If you're able to pay up like that far, but no do, defense is so random. It's so hard to predict. This is why a lot of fantasy leagues get rid of them and kickers. It's just not even you know. It just ends up kind of adding so much more randomness to it. Uh, I, I would kind of like that to become the norm in the future. But this week, the one that's you know just popping right off the page is the Cleveland Browns against Mason Rudolph and company. Price only at twenty five hundred. They are going to be awfully chalky though and hey for good reason i get it if you want if you just want to save it but i would say you can go up only a hundred dollars to the vikings at 2600 facing potentially chase daniel or an injured version of matthew stafford i know this version of mike zimmer's defense hasn't been anything you know close to what we've seen in the past but still a well-coached group of guys and i think against at least you know chase daniel they can make some stuff happen and i just swapped out my defense there and now we're all set and this has been so fun thank you so much for doing this uh and happy new year happy new year it's it's about time we got 2020 in a rear view mirror oh finally good gracious and thank you to all of you listening uh for making this year a little bit better for me taking part in all of this and let's all turn the page to 2021 and hope that things are better we'll see you then 